What's up, fellas? Welcome to episode, what is this, number five of the Truth and Legend podcast. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so today we have the usual suspects, uh, Brandon and Eric, and Eric's coming from Anchorage, and Brandon is down in South Denver, and I'm up here in North Denver. Well, the suburbs. What's going on in you all's world? I've uh, just been dealing with lots of snow up here in Alaska. we I was complaining about how it's just been like a hard crust of melty snow since I missed out on all the fresh stuff. And then for three days straight, it snowed probably like six to eight inches every day. So I've been using our snowblower quite a bit. And I actually, Christy called me because she was going to try and use it. And uh, she had somehow the auger belt just got burned up on some ice or something that was in the chute. So I had to go drive through a foot of snow and get a new auger belt and replace the snowblower belt so we could get it up and running. Otherwise, we would probably wouldn't have got out of our driveway later on because once they come by and plow, I mean, there's a foot and a half berm of just ice snow that you can't get out of. But <laughs> So that's been about it for me, dealing with snow. And So what's it like there as far as snowfall? Is it on record levels right now? Because it seems like it's an awful lot for this time of year. You know, I haven't looked. I thought about that myself, but I haven't even looked. I never get on the news or anything anymore to look to read. Uh, I don't want to deal with that drama, so I should double check and see. But I, I would say we're probably on par with last year, which ended up being pretty close to a record. But we went probably a solid month without any snow. So it kind of just is coming in big waves and then getting, you know, kind of gross and slushy for a little bit. Well, that's good. I mean, it's nice to have the moisture and stuff, but I'm sure it's really hard on a lot of the animals up there. Yeah, there's, um, you know, always the moose on the trail and then people dealing with confrontation. You know, they they want to utilize the trail because it's the easiest thing that they can do. And um, I can't remember who it was, but someone was telling me just recently they had someone hollering and yelling at a moose to try and get it off the trail because they wanted to pass through. Well, they were on the other side of that moose, and so they ended up nearly trampled as this thing was terrified of these people screaming at it, you know, and its best escape route is up the trail. Well, sure enough, there's going to be people probably on the other side, and that's happened to us years ago, too. The only time I've ever been charged by a moose was that same thing where the moose was, you know, in the trail trying to utilize the easiest path that it can. You know, they probably cut those trails in before the people, and... uh they're just screaming, yelling at it and throwing stuff. And sure enough, it's going to turn and run and it just runs right at you. And you dive out of the way in a tree. It, I mean, it wasn't even looking at us, but yeah, same thing with this person. So just a lot of stress. I mean, that snow is hard and I'm hoping to try and go out looking for owls. Cause it, you know, this will start to make it a little bit tougher for them to capture prey down in the snow. So there's some areas where it might be a little bit clearer, windblown, and I'm, I'll try and get out there and check, but um, talking to some friends, it doesn't sound like anyone's really turned anything up yet. So maybe we'll get too much snow and they'll move south. But I, I think uh, the reality is it's, it's still early in the season and there's plenty of food for them. So I think they're just doing all their hunting at night and until the you know later in the season when they're a little more stressed for food, it'll be easier to find. Um, but then once that happens again, you have that pressure of spending time with an animal that's, you know, hungry and, and having a hard time. So uh, mm -hmm. maybe that's something to talk about down the road, but like the ethics of 
of, of these sort of things, at least trying to learn enough about your subject to understand, you know, what their situation is. I think that would be great to have a, uh, that be the whole podcast. And it'd be cool to have a guest or two that is, especially with birds, you know, it's like when it's winter and they're really working hard for every meal. I guess any animal, it's that's the case, but you know, the birds would be a good example for sure. The owls would be. So Brandon, I know what you've been up to. Why don't you tell everybody what we've been up to just to fill them in and kind of give a little update. So we have, let's see, two new videos that we're getting ready to put out. We spent two days filming in a pretty cool little area. We set up like a fake studio and film that for you. Let us know what you think about it. We'll have those out here in a few weeks. Um, One of them is one we've talked about before, Three Ways to Use a GoPro. And you'll have to wait and see what the other one is. But I think it's going to be well-received based on some of the stuff we've put out before. It's about a camera, a bag. That's all I'll give you. (laughs) And uh, Otherwise, it's been... Things are slowing down on the commercial side. I've had a few shoots, but slowing down finally. So time for family and hanging out but so far so good this is always the slowest time of year and it's super awesome because you get time to just chill but it's also nervous right because you're like well am i even gonna work next year or am i even gonna be busy are people gonna call and it's this way every year yeah i mean you do your own books and everything i mean it's just a good time to slow down though because you're ahead of the you if you actually do it and don't procrastinate like I was doing for a bit, you can get caught up on all the receipts that you didn't scan in and your mileage. And it's just, it takes a day just to do the receipts sometimes. And then you got to set up all your invoices and who paid you, who hasn't. And it's just a lot for one person. And this is my first year doing like a big full year. So it's, uh, it's different. So today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about pro tips, um, things that we use that make our jobs a little bit easier. Uh, I'm not sure what everybody's brought to the table. Mine are, I think, pretty cool, but I also think they're kind of lame because I use them all the time, but hopefully they won't be lame for the audience and it's something that you'll get a lot out of. And there's going to be crossover with the YouTube videos with some of the things that we talk about. But I think that's good because the more you see how some of the stuff that we say is this is really cool and you get to see how to use it. I mean, it's really something if you're listening to this episode, which brings up a point, Brandon got the episodes up on Apple podcasts, audio only, and you got them up on Spotify audio only this last week. So if you're listening, we'll try to describe what we're talking about. And obviously there'll be links in the show notes so that you can, if you're like, oh, I want to get one of those, you can just click on the link either on the web page or on the the show notes on YouTube. But um, if you have a chance to watch this, I think it'd be cool just because you'd be able to see, at least with what I'm going to show, you'll be able to see the the things that we're going to put on there. So, But before we do that, Eric, prior to starting recording, you had talked about going to some, what was it called? The art and bird or bird. What did you do? So um, I don't know if it's annual, but the uh, Anchorage, or I mean, sorry, Alaska Audubon or um, one of the groups puts on the Alaska Bird Conference. So they have like, a, I think it's four days where they have, 
you know, conference talks from different experts, but as like a fundraiser and an additional component of that, they have an art and conservation night where they have a reception and a couple of speakers. And so I went and attended that. Um, uh, there was a, kind of a split talk video presentation that Garrett Vinn did. Um, if you guys know him, I know Michael's worked with him. He is, um, I don't know what you would say, like the photographer, videographer for the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And so he produces a lot of pieces that are based on, you know, bird conservation. And specifically, he was talking about the areas here in Alaska that he's um, gone to. Uh, he showed the um, Teshekpuk Lake area, um, St. George Island, and the Eisenbeck Wildlife Refuge, which were all are all facing um, you know, incursions, the Eisenbeck, they want to put a road through to assist in, um, access to two different villages. The, um, to check puck lakes under, the, uh, uh, what the Willow project is trying to develop oil and gas in that area. And then I think St. George Island is just a massive breeding colony for a ton of the, uh, seabirds. And I think climate change is going to kind of greatly influence the ability of that area to be productive. Plus, it's not necessarily that area, but those birds are greatly influenced by the warming ocean temperatures because <clears throat> the bait fish are not as successful. So there's a lot of seabird die off. There's been a lot of articles over the last few years of species like common mirror and fork-tailed storm petrels that we started seeing way in inland, even in like Anchorage, which is crazy but in boat harbors and stuff just because they're starving. And I think that's kind of the biggest risk is these colonies with, you know, million birds are, you know, at risk. So um, he talked. And then uh, the second speech, which I, I thought was kind of an interesting uh, story or an idea concept that I kind of went there to, to draw some inspiration and kind of uh, seek out some new ideas. Sorry, I've got a friend coming to visit me here. <laughs> If you're you're listening, I have a foster kitty that has been hiding, and he just jumped out of his room and got out here. Hey, buddy. Um, so the other guy was uh, Pete Mara. He's from Georgetown University, and um, he talked about how you know years ago, I don't know when it would be like around say the 70s, a focus on conservation was really like protecting landscape, protecting habitats, and for 30 years that was the focus. And they went back and looked at, okay, well, how did we do? And then they find that, well, we actually lost, you know, like 154 of the most common bird species are now at risk. So obviously we didn't do enough. And they thought, well, is our approach wrong? And the approach being of that, you know, basically just habitat protection, it worked for waterfowl. Waterfowl numbers are, sorry, come on, buddy, you got to get out of here. <laughs> the, uh, so the waterfowl numbers are um are have improved greatly you know things from wetland conservation which helped other bird species but um most of the bird species are in drastic decline and so they're realizing that the new approach needs to be that like biological conservation land and stuff but they're realizing now that the social component might be even greater so educating people of simple things they can do, like get rid of your grass and ornamental plants that do nothing to feed any, you know, animals. 
uh, turning off lights in buildings. You know, one building in a major city had a thousand dead birds on it in the morning just from one night. And that's one building. So getting how can we educate people, you know, in that social influence to try to just fix some behaviors that might drastically improve things, keeping cats indoors. You know, those are things that have been talked about, but now trying to put money behind those sorts of things, you know, and, and that's where like, you know, Garrett's talk about, you know, just seeing these places and seeing breeding birds in the Arctic, it looks beautiful and it captivates people. And it also, you know, drives them to want to, save those places but those birds have to fly from you know south america to get up here or wherever they're coming from there's a lot of obstacles in the way and, and trying to educate people along that path and so that's where i've been uh, i thought i you know enjoyed the most part with thinking like how how can we blend those two components of like the wildlife and the beautiful scenery and educating people on simple behavior. So I, that was kind of one of the most interesting parts, I thought, of working through that. He was, um, if you guys remember the article from a couple of years ago, where it said like the North America has lost 3 billion birds. And that kind of caused a panic, like, oh my gosh, I, no one has ever quantified that. That was all a part of this research when they were looking back at what's going on. Are we actually doing a good job? And I think they're, you know, really um, nervous about the future with without implementing some drastic new approaches to it all that's amazing uh, is that something that goes on in every city that has an audubon kind of group or because that sounds pretty spectacular and that's something that i would enjoy going and listening and then you know seeing how you can take those ideas and bring it back to our little channel or our little purpose in life and it just is a kind of a cool thing and garrett Vin, i did work with him for what was that like four weeks straight out in the Arctic on that same thing that he's talking about. And that dude is like, it's, it's uncanny. We could be sitting in camp in a tent, just looking at the inside of the tent and a bird would fly by and he could say, you know, if it was the sound of the, uh, if it was singing or making some sort of sound, he would uh, readily identify it. But some of them, he'd be, it would just be the wing beat. He'd be like, Oh, there goes a, and of course, we're all going to believe him because we don't even see the bird. But when you're out in the field with him, I mean, he's just an encyclopedia of birds that is just, I, I mean, I've never met anybody like him. It was kind of cool. I was going to say, I don't know um, if it's common, you know, these sorts of events are are ongoing. I think Alaska's um, bird conference is maybe newer. I usually don't attend. It's a little more science focused. I have a lot of friends that work in like fish and wildlife and um, different, you know, Alaska fishing game, that sort of thing that go do, you know, studies around the state. And that, essentially a lot of these talks are geared towards, you know, very, you know, scientific approach at things. Um, so I'm not sure. Our local Anchorage Audubon does have monthly meetings with talks um, that range just from, you know, trip reports or topics and things. But I'm not sure how common it is to really have, you know, these sort of big, big, uh, conventions um this was uh put on by one of my friends who um you know works for fish and wildlife and just uh an idea of trying to like inspire and bring you know people out there's actually um vendors uh people selling art 
you know, bird-based art or different things. Actually, our, our friend uh, Sergius was there. Um, he had they had a silent auction, mm-hmm. and he had some pieces there, different uh, wood carvings and that. Then they had a lot of tables for conservation-based groups. You know, like keeping the lead and fishing lines out of ponds and talking about um, trail systems and, and different components. So it was kind of a good way to. You know, I, having kind of had some blocks and needing some inspiration, it was good to get out and kind of just see some different things that were going on. Um, so, yeah, I would encourage anyone if there is, you know, some sort of event like that, just to poke your head in and see, you know, who knows what might come from it. Yeah, I had no idea that thing, that sort of thing. I mean, it makes sense. And I'm sure it goes on in a lot of different cities and states across the country. But just knowing the people that were there and what they talked about, that would be of huge interest to me. So I would assume they would get that caliber across the country, which would be kind of cool and open your eyes and you get to learn a whole bunch of new stuff that you can, like I say, take back and implement into your own life or your own channel or your own social or whatever it is. So um, speaking of that, and Brandon, if you want to say something, just tell me to shut up because I was going to roll on to something else. But that something else is we just started the community part of our YouTube. You all get to follow us on this YouTube journey that we have no clue what we're doing. We're just throwing a bunch of stuff up there. But one of the things is apparently they have this community. Um, what is it? Link or segment part of YouTube where it's a lot like Instagram. You know, you're just putting up um, images and little stories. And it's just a, an, an additional thing to be looking at. And I noticed on there the other day that you can actually tag videos that you like on that community thing. So Eric had sent me, this all ties back to the birding thing with Garrett Vin, but he sent me a video that Garrett did on Eisenbeck. And it's pretty spectacular. I mean, Eric sent it to me. He's like, check this out. This is pretty cool. And it is pretty cool. And then I think he did one on the, the Arctic project that we were at too. So I think we should be able to link both of those. And um, that'll give you some sort of insight into just how cool these areas are and what some of the issues are. I mean, it's not all fluff. It's It's got some, you know, it lays everything out there. So I think that's the best way for us to disseminate that information is just to include it in the community. And then uh, there will always be a goofy picture of Brandon in there. <laughs> I know. I'm a, definitely the class clown, as it turns out. Who would have thought? I almost wore my puggly Christmas sweater, which is like, I mean, it's that time, right? But I don't know. In today's world, I was just like, I don't know. Maybe people don't like pugs. I don't want to <laughs> offend them. So. <laughs> I don't know. That's all good stuff, and uh, it's, it gives us a good chance to kind of talk about some of the stuff we're doing, but um, I'm glad to know that those kind of things go on and um, I'm going to start searching that kind of stuff out just because that is something that I had no idea. Well, and I just, while I was kind of listening, I was looking, there are some events through the Denver Audubon Society, so that's cool. And they actually have an ethical birding in February of uh, 2024, so. There is some cool stuff. And then there's a bunch. I mean, the bird count for, uh, or the Christmas bird count is coming up. So I think they probably want to help with that. Yeah. This Saturday, um, tomorrow, I guess it is, I have a Christmas bird count here in Anchorage. It's a two week oh, nice. span that different communities can pick. 
it's like plus or minus a week off of Christmas, I think, um, to do the count and tomorrow's anchorages. So I'm, uh, Anchorage is broken up into five different areas. And then I'm like a sub leader for one of those areas. So my neighborhood here, I have like, I don't know, probably three or four miles of territory that I'll cover. Um, actually more than that, it's like 30 by the time I'm done and just do the Is that the counts. same area that you did last year. Yeah, I do the same area. Um, Cool. One, there was a person who moved out of town that lived down the road from me and I took over and it just, it's convenient cause it's my neighborhood. So I can go and, you know, I keep an eye on it throughout the season, but tomorrow I'll be out early burden, <laughs> not that early cause it's still dark at nine 30, <laughs> but right. uh, maybe I'll get out and look, listen for owls. Cause that might be the only time to get, get some, but I haven't heard any great horns or Northern sawwets yet behind our house. So hopefully we'll get some, but it's been a good year. I've, there's been quite an eruption of finches all over the state. So I think it'll be an exciting count day. Get a, a bunch of good new species for Anchorage because it's been dwindling. It's been pretty sad the last couple of years. The last two years we had like a foot, two feet of snow on the count day and it was just like blizzard conditions and kind of had to give up by noon. So I'm hopeful tomorrow will be better. Have you not had a lot of finches up north? There's not a ton. Um, I just had heard, I was looking through some reports this morning and someone down in Homer had like eight different species, which is really kind of uncommon. There's not that many oh, wow. normal species <laughs> that are around here. So, but even just like the crossbills we've talked about, uh, pine grosbeaks, I know usually don't hear in my yard. I have to go up the hill to get them on my count day. And I've been hearing them fly over every morning. So I think it's just, there's a lot. Whether it's just the seed, you know, is that good this year? Or it's bad somewhere else. Stuff is just, um, you know, attracted to Anchorage right now. Interesting. That's cool. There's so much. I mean, it's like awesome having Eric on the podcast because he's like the birding. Uh, he's the birding. What we would call it? The. I don't know, but I learn something from him every time. He's like a professor <laughs> of birds at this. Well, point. Let me show so. you my. I'm going to jump into my pro tip here real quick. This isn't a real thing, but uh, I picked this up at the conference and it's kind of funny because it, if you know me and my van, you'll kind of get an idea what I'm talking about. But here's my pro tip if you're driving around looking for wildlife. Is it a mirror I'm image? Swerving. <laughs> if I'm swerving, I'm burden sticker. So <laughs> I figure I'll throw that on there and maybe get out of trouble if I'm stopped in the middle of the road watching an animal. <laughs> I mean, now that you brought the van up, I haven't touched it, but you brought it up. I think you have to tell the story now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so my uh, wife thought she would do me uh, a nice thing because I had just a really generic uh, license plate when I first got my van. And she's like, oh, I'm going to order him a custom plate. So she kept asking me what my favorite bird was. Like, I, I, I guess if I had to pick a favorite, you know, it'd be a semi-palmated plover. I think it was just because it's very identifiable in a guidebook. And when I saw one for the first time, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that is. I've been staring at it. And so I told her, oh, my God, I like plovers. You know, I think that's my favorite species, probably. And so she had ordered a plate without me knowing. And I got something in the mail from the DMV and I, I open it up because it's addressed to me and it says, we regret to inform you that we have declined to issue your custom plate for pea lover. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what on earth? <laughs> so she tried to get Plover as a license plate. 
they took it as P lover and declined my <laughs> application. So the option was either to try to contest it. And I obviously said, I'm going to come up with something different. So I have a birding based license plate so that I figure that'll get me out of trouble, which it has sometimes. <laughs> so I got the sticker to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did, uh, did you have to buy that sticker or did they just give them out? I got some other stickers from different groups, but this was a, 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 a young girl that had designed a bunch of different stickers and art pieces and stuff that were bird themed. So they had vendors there selling stuff as well. And I think we're contributing back to the event. But yeah, I, I grabbed a couple stickers from her. They're pretty good. Good deal. That's yeah. awesome. You should take a picture of it. Um, that way we can put it in. I'll put it well i just couldn't see it very good on my screen so but i think when we edit the podcast you'll be able to see it and it'll be fine so if you're watching on youtube you'll see it and what is it again if i'm swerving i'm burden. if i'm swerving i'm got, burden <laughs> and what kind of bird is that it looks like a red tail hawk on there okay so it's a big hawk with its, right, its wings spread out <laughs> pretty cool that's yeah. awesome all right well that's a good pro tip <laughs> yeah. slash you, Michael. comedy hour um for a pro tip sure or if you have any general update for us i don't uh it's been what you talked about really it's just us working <laughs> together and then i'm just working on editing these podcasts and trying to get more youtube stuff out there like i said i'm not terribly busy with real work at the moment so it's just a matter of trying to figure out just last night, I figured out how to do, I didn't figure, I always knew how to do it, but it's like, you put up a YouTube short, I'm like, I could never justify the time, but then you just see so much stuff. I thought, okay, let's just try it. And there's bound to be some good stuff that we've done before, but you, it takes time. I mean, it'd be great if you could just go out with your phone and just put it on vertical and shoot something really cool. But how much time does that happen? I mean, it happens, of course, but. For me, it doesn't. So I'm thinking, okay, I got to go into my footage and then I got to go into a timeline and then I got to create a vertical timeline and then I got to shift all the videos so the action is where the vertical slice is at. And then then you kind of get into it and it's kind of fun. And, and how do you maintain this sense of like, this is super cool and you want everybody to watch it. So you, you just end up spending, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half just on creating one little vertical video that might get a hundred views. And yeah, and it's 10 seconds long, but hopefully just by doing it and figuring it out, we'd be able to add a bunch more and ours will probably be mostly wildlife based other than, you know, Brandon being goofy every now and then. (laughs) But, um, so hopefully it'd be cool. I mean, we can, the cool thing is, is you can pull those 10, most awesome seconds of some sort of sequence that we shot somewhere and it will be kind of interesting. Hopefully we'll see. I know uh, we talk about Moose man. Sometimes he's got a clip and I was talking to Brandon before we got on the podcast. He's got a clip that is going to go like viral for sure. And I don't even want to talk about it. Cause it's just, it's when you so see good. it, it's, yeah, you just laugh. It's I had to share my screen with Brandon the other day to show him because I just ran across. I forgot all about it. So I'm going to call him after the podcast and say, look, we need to do a short because this is a potential 
50 million view short just because it's so funny and you know it's just not what you expect at all <laughs> out of wildlife so we'll leave it at that and then as soon as we he gets it put out we will try to help promote it so that you can find it because it's hilarious yeah so anyway that's what's going on with me um I don't know anything else as far as that. Do you guys want to just get into the pro tips and see what uh, kind of knowledge you guys want to lay out in front of everybody? Sure. Let's do it. So, Brandon, you start us off. Oh, boo. Uh, my first one's a little long, so sorry about that. All right. So it's with red foxes. So I was reading about this paper. There's a gentleman named – I'm sorry, I'm going to mess this up. Yaroslav, Yaroslav Servini, he's a biologist in the Czech Republic. And so he was noticing that red foxes were jumping in a northeasterly direction. And he ended up getting a team together of 23 wildlife bio biologists and hunters and trackers. And they went out and observed red foxes for two years. And they saw over 600 mousing events with 80 plus different foxes. And so they saw a lot of mousing. And for those that don't know what mousing is, you have these foxes where it's typically in meadows where we can observe it just because it's the longest visual that we can see. But what they'll do is they'll creep out onto the snow or the meadow and they'll go real slow. Their ears will be up. They'll be kind of observing and listening and they'll slowly creep up and then they'll get to a point and then they'll just jump straight up in the air and then down into the snow and their face will disappear, but they're getting a mouse. And what he, he was trying to figure out is why they were doing this northeasterly direction. Well, they still, they have some guesses. They think it's due to the magnetic fields and that they're using the magnetic north and south poles to use it as a triangulation to figure out where the mouse are. And it's almost like a rangefinder. Once they get to a certain vector of their ears and then the vector of the magnetic pole, it kind of zeroes in on where they need to leap. And so what they found is when they are on 20 degrees from the North pole, they are, they have a kill rate of over 70%. If they do 180 degrees from that, it's like 60%. If they move off of that and any other axis, it drops down into like the high teens. So I'm finally getting to my pro tip. If you're wanting to photograph or film red foxes and get that behavior on mousing, if you want the side, then that means there's a high likelihood that that fox is going to pounce at that 20 degrees north or 180 degrees from that right. And so you're, if you set up at a 90 degree from that, so that would be, what is that, 290 degrees or 110 degrees, then there's a higher likelihood that you'll get that nice uh, perpendicular shot, right? So the fox in the air going into the, the snow. Now, there's still a lot of luck that needs to be had for that to happen, right? Like you need a fox that's in your vector for that, but it gives you that little bit of an edge that there's that possibility instead of just going out to a meadow and hoping you get something. So that's my long-winded pro tip. I wonder if that works for coyotes too, or any other thing. That, thing. That's interesting because I, I used to do that a lot. I would go out 
at Rocky Mountain National Park has these great big parks and mm-hmm. you know it's just good hunting grounds and that's where the mice hang out and they're just scurrying underneath the snow all day long and I followed a coyote one time that probably I don't even remember the numbers but it was high he probably caught he or she caught 20 mice in one day wow. plus or minus wow. and it was just mouse after mouse after mouse and it was these situations where but when he got into the teens and the numbers of catches he was trying to hide mice for later but what was happening is the magpies knew what he was up to he or she was up to Mm -hmm. so the coyote would hide a mouse and then the magpies would go get it drag it out and drag it out and so then the coyote got to the point where okay i just got to eat them all and you can see towards the end where it's like oh god i gotta (laughs) eat another one you know it was it was it was the most awesome day ever filming that kind of behavior but now that I'm thinking back, I'm, I need to go look at the pictures and see what the orientation was because I think I'd heard something briefly about that in the past, but I've never I, – I just heard about it, but I never thought about it. But now that you say it and now that I know that I have some images and now in the future when you are trying to get it – so for video, mm-hmm. that would be great to have that knowledge, right? Because you do right. want to capture two or three different angles of that. And if you have a reliable spot where that mousing might occur, which I'm sure people do across the country somewhere or across the world – um, that's great information. Well, and, I mean, there's a ton of luck involved, like, and it gets harder, right? So if you want like a straight on shot of like this fox jumping up in the air and then coming straight down towards you, that'd be an amazing photo or video. You need to be on that direction, right? And that azimuth. But can you imagine the luck of like having it on the right plane instead of like shifted off just a few degrees? But it'd be amazing if you could do it and set it up. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was wondering about the coyotes. Well, because you know, birds use the magnetic fields. I mean, we we know that through migratory patterns now, and you just wonder what other animals are using, to their knowledge or maybe unconsciously, but using this magnetic field of the earth to kind of triangulate different things to hunt. And because owls will do that, they have owls actually have ears that aren't level, right? And that's how they able to triangulate it and that's why they turn their heads they're kind of ranging it and then you'll like different owls have different hunting techniques um great grays will kind of hover over them before they drop into it and that's kind of their last little check before they drop down but i mean they can even change their facial muscles to triangulate where the different sounds are coming from but mammals don't really they have level ears so they can't do that they can kind of turn it and figure it out but if they're range finding using the magnetic field of the earth, it's incredible. So it's just a, you don't know what you don't know. Eric, yeah, you got no, anything on that? Oh, I was going to say, I, I think I had heard about that too. Like the, it's typically in one direction, but I think it's interesting to know that the, that they studied like the success rate and that it's that much higher. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So I guess you could get yeah, the I, shot in any direction. You just might not get the, the mouse at the right. end of it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I pulled the link for the paper so I can send it to everyone. I, it's not the original link. It's through like the Royal biology papers or something, but I f- was able to find it. So in English that we could all mostly read. Yeah. Cool. The challenge is like, so if you're going to use that knowledge to try to get your images, I can remember one time where I was filming exactly that in Yellowstone and we were in one of those snow coaches hmm. And you're totally relegated to the road. You know, you're not going to get off the road. And 
if you did try, you're just going to disturb what's going on anyway. So yeah, the chances of everything lining up perfect so that you get the perfect angle. I mean, it's, it's helpful to know, but you're just going to have to be one lucky person to have everything line up in a, most situations. Now I know there's some sp spots around Anchorage or Denver where you might be able to have a lot more mobility around an area, but, and still not disturb the foxes, but cool pro tip. Yeah. Way better than anything I got. <laughs> That's my best one. Everything else is pretty boring. So. Yeah. I'm pretty bad about, I'm just like low hanging fruit. <laughs> so Eric, what do you got? Well, going back to what I was saying, um, where I was trying to draw inspiration and trying to like get my creative juices going, I was thinking back to, to filming over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, the one thing that I thought has been really helpful for me, which I've heard from other people. So this isn't a new idea that I had. Um, but my AirPod, I always carry it around with me in, uh, my binocular harness because there's a lot of times where I'm just sitting there, you know, and I feel like I've kind of gotten used to all the natural sounds and I'm trying to find like some creative shots or environmental things. What I'll do is I have a playlist that I've been making of a combination of like ambient type music and stuff that sounds like it would be in a soundtrack. And I'll just put in, you know, one headphone play music and just try to let the different songs, you know, feelings draw something out of the landscape for me. Um, so if you're sitting there and you're kind of like, nothing's happening, I feel like I should be shooting, but I don't know what, you know, I'll start listening to a little bit of music in one ear and just see if it inspires something. And a lot of times it does, you know, it might take a different song or something, but that's one thing that I've, that I found a little bit helpful when I'm out there. And I mean, it helps kill the time a little bit too, give you some company if you're <laughs> bored and alone, but, um, for like B-roll type stuff, I, I thought it was really kind of nice to imagine how things would look with music in the background. How'd you yeah. come up with that idea? I feel like I heard somebody talk about it. I can't remember. I don't remember where. Um, but then I was just listening to some music on a playlist that I had or something that was being recommended to me and thinking like, oh, this sounds like it's like from a soundtrack. And I'm like, oh, I should start dumping music into a playlist of my own so i just created like a wildlife film playlist that i've been i only have a few songs on there now but trying to add to it and then downloading um i'll probably start downloading a bunch of you know like the royalty free type music or like things that we have licensed to and just you know the music that you're probably going to end up using in an edit um just trying to listen through stuff in the field and I mean, that you're already out there spending time. I guess you could be trying to pick, you know, songs at that same time. Uh, what kind of imitates that mood? But I don't know. I just always like music and listening to things. And when I was, I think I just remembered that idea and tried it. And it's like, yeah, this is really nice when you're just sitting there. You know, you're sitting on a chair for a long time and waiting for something to happen. It, it kind of changes your mindset and gets you looking at things with a new perspective. Yeah, that's a great pro tip. I really do not want to even open my mouth now. Those two are like awesome. Let's, my let's other ones are really basic, so don't worry. <laughs> Man, I don't even, I'm going to have to up my game for the next podcast because those, those are both really good tips. Mine are terrible. Um, but 
for mine, it's always going to be equipment. It's like the easiest, like I say, low hanging fruit. And I'm just going to go grab something and say, oh, this would be cool to talk about. Um, driving back from Alaska to Colorado, I tried to document the trip and I'm trying to put together a video, but it's kind of lame because I didn't spend enough time shooting as much as I should have shot. And, you know, but you just get in the mode and you watch so many of these videos where people are traveling and so much of the footage is drone driven. But flying a drone and driving a vehicle and doing all, there's one guy that does it really well. And I think we've talked about him before on the podcast and it's probably not kosher 100% what he does. Unless of course he's got the drone following him and he's not flying at all. He's just driving and letting the drone do it, which is probably the case in a lot of situations. But um, long story short, I didn't do any drone stuff because I had so many clouds on my travel back that it was it would have been illegal to fly the drone with my license that I have. So I just didn't even shoot much and that's the way it goes. But when I did shoot and just to make it easy is I have this little GoPro magnet mount with a little ball head on it. So what I was able to do is just put it on the front of the van and I can go 60 miles an hour down the road and this thing is stuck like glue, which is, awesome. You don't have to worry about it flying off and hitting your windshield or hitting another car or whatever. And um, I'm not going to 100% vouch for it on everybody else's vehicles, but on mine, it worked fine. And, um, you know, a lot of times, like if you look at my van, the hood is, it's kind of sloped on both sides and there's a crease down the middle. So you can't get dead on straight, but having this little ball head, I could still get it nice and straight, even if I was off kilter a little bit. And it just has proved to be a perfect little tool. And in addition to that, I mean, you can always like slap it onto the side of a vehicle and get the tires, or you can slap it onto the back of a vehicle and get someone following you or whatever the case is kind of cool. And it was, um, super cheap. I mean, I don't, I don't remember what I paid for this thing, but I think it was like under 25 bucks. So to be able to get something like this and have that ability to have that flexibility, it's kind of cool. Did it so come with the ball cool. head too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So it comes with the magnet and the ball head itself for, like I said, it was under 25 bucks. And the magnet has rubber on it, right? So it'll, yeah, yeah so it's going to protect it. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. It's got a rubber base and, and it's super strong. I mean, it's when you click it on there, it thunks on there. It's not like you're, I would, you know, they make suction cups that are a lot like this too. And I'm not mm-hmm. as, confident with a suction cup as I am with this. And now if you got a brand new out of the package suction cup, it's going to be great. But right. if you use it over and over and it gets dusty and it gets dirty, it's, I just don't trust it. <laughs> um, but this little guy, and then you can see, I've got another little cage around this one too. So in the event that it does fall off, I'm trying to protect the GoPro a little bit just by having a little cage on it, but that's not part of the pro tip. The, the no. main thing is the, the ball. So head. the cage didn't come with the GoPro. No, this cage is a small rig cage and it's just okay. separate. But again, it's just the one that I'm going to throw out. And if it did fall off or if I stuck it on a place that had mud and I wasn't you know, paying attention or whatever and it did fall off, then hopefully the GoPro is going to survive. That's so cool. that's a little pro tip. Like I said earlier, these links to so anything that we recommend as far as gear is always going to be in the show notes so that you can click on it and get one if you want one. And it's, it's cool because you get all the angles. I even was shooting myself through the windshield, which is, you know, a little bit more creative than trying to do some of the other shots that you can get. So that's it for mine. That's cool. 
Lamo number one. <laughs> so bad. That's so, so, so bad. All right. So, uh, what's up next for you there, Brandon? Um, this is kind of Sony specific. So, sorry, everyone else. But the Angel Bird CF Express A cards work glorious. I've worked, those are six months in use for me now. And they're like half the price and they're faster. So one terabyte. Angel Bird cards have changed. Yeah, they're one terabyte and they've changed my workflow because the FX6, they're bigger files. I mean, they're not like red uncompressed files, but they're still pretty large files and one terabyte fills up pretty quickly. So I have two of them in that FX6 and it's fantastic. So for those Sony shooters that are scared or maybe just doesn't want to pay the $1,200 for the Sony card, the Angel Birds are working great and they've, I mean, they just keep going. So yeah, that's a quick tip. That's a good one. And both you and Eric shoot Sony. And I think there's a ton mm -hmm. of people out there doing it. So I think for the audience it's great. And Angel Bird, I think is who makes the cards that I use in the red. Oh, really? I think I'm and then they just throw 90% sure. Yeah. It's just a, a approved, you know, red changed their game. So they used to make monitors. They used to make cards. They used to make everything. Now they're just focusing on just the body. And then if you want to buy a monitor, it's going to be made by small HD, but it has a red, it has a red logo on it. So it's a collaboration. Same thing. I think with this angel bird, it's a collaboration and they're the manufacturer of choice for that, for the red camera. So cool. I think if you're shooting Canon or if you're shooting Nikon or if you're shooting whoever, if you want to go with a quality card manufacturer, then angel bird is probably one to go with. Yeah. You go all like with the Canon, you have like a two terabyte card or something in yours, don't you? Yeah, and I'm using some off-brand. Oh, it's not off-brand. Delkin, Delkin, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I, it was the first one that I came out with the two-terabyte card, so I bought it, and I'm not, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, two terabytes is just like a dream for Sony shooters sometimes. <laughs> right. So I was excited yeah. when I got one terabyte. What did you tell me yesterday? So Brandon and I were shooting yesterday. You were like the new – Sony oh, came out with a new camera that is way beyond – most people's ever going to buy it. What is it? The bravado or the, the Bruno Burano. Okay. Like here I go. Like I'm not going to rant that much. I promise people, but Sony, do you know what kind of card they put in this Burano? CF express B. So now if you're a Sony shooter, you got to buy CF express B cards, CF express a cards. If you have any other mirrorless camera for it, and then if you have like an A7 IV or like an entry-level one, the secondary card slot is an SD card. Like, what are you doing to us, Sony? And we all know why they're doing it. It's because those are all pieces that we have to buy. But it's like, get your act together. Just go to CF Express B. <laughs> yeah. So is that what I'm using? I'm not even up on all these cards. The CF, CF Express B is what the it's, R5 is. And your red and your can. And that's what the red's using. Yeah. And the CF Express A is smaller footprint, right? Yeah. And they're like half the speeds. And half the size mostly too, right? Yeah. Four times the price. Hmm. I mean, yeah. that's the only reason I'm not going to buy that Burano. So just, <laughs> just to let everyone know, it's not the $25,000 price tag. So. <laughs> Otherwise, if it was, if it was a CF Express A or something, like it'd be a game. Like we'd have You'd it. have bought it already. But 
I'm not buying another card, so don't worry about it. I'll save my twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> Lies. Yeah. I say nothing hurt worse than when I, you know, dropped like twelve hundred bucks to buy two three hundred and twenty gig Sony cards, and then like two weeks later they released the Angel Bird one terabytes for like the same price or less. And I was like, ah, oh, I can't spend another thousand dollars on a right. memory card. It's stupid. But yeah. 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 It's well, I'll painful. get into my, I was going to say, I'll get into my uh, pro tip. I was trying to think cause uh, Brandon said like, all right, let's think of what, what helps us make our videos and it's winter time here. And I thought, well, what's the one thing that usually ends my shoot early and it's getting mm-hmm. cold. So I know we've talked about things like hand warmers. I've got my battery-powered hand warmer that I keep with me all the time. I um, recently invested where I have my binocular harness, but I bought a hand muff so that if I don't have gloves on or if my hands are you know, in thin gloves, I can uh-huh. stick my hand warmer in here and try and keep it warm and then quickly get onto the camera. And then um, I've had these mittens for a really long time, which probably helps because the inside part has become so thin that it's essentially like just a thin piece of material and I can still operate all the buttons, but I have like a nice puffy back. So I would suggest invest in a very good pair of gloves and some other things. Cause when my hands freeze, I cannot operate my camera. And a lot of times I just have to call it cause it, it gets to be too much. Um, I don't know if you guys ever get that feeling when you're cold, you get like nauseous in your stomach and, a headache feeling but trying to shoot the sheep the last few weeks it is just so cold and windy and uh, i'm trying to do everything i can to stay warm so these are the things that i found that be really helpful yeah that little hand warmer thing under the bino harness is a great idea i'm gonna go buy one the struggle yeah, is real it. yep <laughs> so is that manufactured by the people that make the bino harness or is yeah. that just something that you found that just works with it it is from oh, marsupial cool. and then it uses the what is it the mole attachment mole, yeah. whatever they call it so is it just yeah. velcro straps on the top of the of the uh, hand warmer or the pouch that you can attach it to the bino harness it's just the the one um one strap thing that goes through the the mole attachment so it's that just is. a button here got it oops can't the problem it. with the, all of this, I don't remember. Did we talk about how stupid we looked going on that bighorn stuff, <laughs> Michael? Yeah, I think you and I talked about how stupid we looked, but I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. Well, maybe we did. I don't remember. But All right. So just fast forward if we talked about this and I'm having a senior moment. So we show up on this location, and there's a lot of bike riders and hikers. And so they're like, well, bikers are like the, they'll like stuff newspaper inside so they don't have to carry a coat, right? So they're like the lowest prepared people. And then you have the hikers who are a little bit more prepared. Here comes Michael and I with our shin 80 liter packs. We have like the tripods that are huge. We have our bino carriers on and it's just, we looked, we looked ridiculous. Oh, we were looking good. So can you imagine if I start strapping hand warmers onto it on top of that? It's just going to be like, next thing you know, I'm just going to be like the Michelin man of gear. Yeah, and I I was thinking as Eric was doing his tip, I mean, that tip is going to work for 
what half the country because half yeah. the country gets legitimately cold like that where you do want that kind of stuff and the further north you go the worse it gets i've been shooting in alaska a lot where i yeah i don't even know if i'm pushing back in the stills days i couldn't even tell if i was pushing the button or not you had to listen for the camera back when they made noise to know that you actually took a picture so it's the struggle's real um if you live in florida or you know anywhere along the south i mean it's just not something you're probably going to be interested in but when you're shooting in alaska or you're shooting in minnesota or you're shooting somewhere i think people look at that and they're like yeah that's just what you got to do if you're going to be outside this is this is how you look you just yeah. look like the michelin uh adventure man <laughs> <laughs> i like it I'm, i like it though <laughs> yeah. own it <laughs> yeah yeah you just definitely got to own it that's a good one. I I think uh, we'll put a link into that one because I bet you that pouch. What do they call it? The, just the hand, a hand thing, muff. Eric. What is that called? A muff. A hand muff. Hand muff. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show uh, in the below the YouTube stuff here, so you can find that. And I bet you that would work with my Bino harness, which isn't the same brand that you have. I yeah. would think that most of them have <clears> that. Yep. Very cool. Well, my uh, next, is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Here comes the next lame tip. So I buy a ton of these little cubes. I don't know if you guys can see it. But I have so many little odds and ends that I have to keep track of that I found these cubes by Tenba. And I don't know exactly what this is, but again, there'll be a link. But it's just got a, a cube with some dividers in it, and then it's got a clear top, so you can kind of look in there and get an idea as to what might be in there before you have to go digging around. And it's just proven to be super valuable. We work a lot with Precision Camera down in Texas, and he was telling me when I was talking to him the other day that they can't keep these things in stock just because they are so valuable. And it's for everything. I mean, you can have one thing set up just for cards, you know, or cards and batteries, or this one, I have a, just a miscellaneous thing with audio cables and GoPro mounts and headphones and extra screws and extra plate, camera plates and batteries. And I just put a little bit of everything in here. But I know if I grab this, chances are I'm going to be able to solve some problems. And then it's quick to get to it. So just a cool little bag. And as a photographer or videographer, you can never have too many bags. I don't know. Maybe you I like it. Yeah, but, I need to buy some of those. Yeah, and it's quality. I mean, it's not like a cheesy. Like sometimes you get these, and this plastic up here is really kind of cheesy. It's going to last. A, mm-hmm. If it sits in the sun, it's going to last for six months. But if it if you kind of take care of it, it might last a year. This one, I think, will go for the the duration as long as you're not running sharp knives over it. Well, and that's one of those things. When you're in the field, you're like, oh, this would be so perfect. And then you get back to the house, and you take the cameras out, you plug everything back in, you plug the cards, download everything, and then you go on your way. And then you get back out into the field and you're like, you know what would be really good is a place to organize this. And then you just like repeat the cycle. So yeah, that's a good one. I like that. They That is just one of many sizes. So they have smaller ones and bigger ones. So it is kind of cool. So if you wanted a little smaller one, it would be great for, like you said, cards or whatever. And then you also verify that you got it with you when you leave, right? You don't just like assume that you have it like i did this past year where i thought i had my cards with me and i got out there and i didn't so it was a 10 mile hike for 
not a lot of return. So that's lame number two. <laughs> Do we have others or is that it? How many were we supposed to bring? Uh, I, have I got an really emergency backup one. three tip. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, Let's hear it. My emergency backup, uh, which if we're just trying to say what makes our life easier, I know you guys, we've always talked about it, but um, if you guys don't have some sort of like speed editor or um, thing, I have the DaVinci or black magics um speed editor which just gives you a toggle wheel and different things to slip through footage and make cuts it's a lot quicker than trying to use the mouse and um you know keyboard shortcuts are, are convenient but i end up using you know a speed editor a keyboard and the mouse and i've it's really helpful um i've found to to scrolling through footage and, and making edits i don't edit with one of those so the little wheel that'll that's like your crt move timeline area yeah you can and then do you it can in just three different cut options, everything yeah. from it yeah ins I'll and outs you too. they now they have a whole How keyboard am I the minority on this one where there's a keyboard and then on the ends they also add the same controls to this um da vinci came out with but uh, it's not a for sure thing and i i'm kind of curious maybe if you guys use it or if anyone in the audience uses like a a pen style mouse for edits. I've seen some like people. A Wacom tablet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that would be convenient or not because I have a ergonomic mouse which I like, um, but I still find myself, you know, having uncomfortable, you know, hand wrist after too much time at the computer. So I was wondering if a tablet like that would be offset some of that or at least keep you in a more natural uh, hand position. But um, I've never used one. I am holding off on investing in one. So if anyone has any thoughts or advice on ergonomics for editing, please share those because I'm finding that I could utilize those a lot better. Well, the pro tip plus one on that uh, particular device that Eric just highlighted, if you are into editing and you want to use Resolve, DaVinci Resolve, which I think a lot of the industry is moving that way. If you watch YouTube, you will see a lot more uh, tutorials. And it I don't know, it just feels more robust to me than if I was using Premiere or Final Cut. But it is a learning curve. But as with everything, it just takes time to learn it. The cool thing about DaVinci is you can buy the software. You're not paying a subscription. Now, how long that lasts, who knows? I mean, they all seem to transfer over to subscription fees. But hopefully Blackmagic will... The Blackmagic DaVinci Resolve, I think is the proper term. They'll keep it as a, you buy once and you own it and then you get the upgrades. But it's a $300 software, which isn't terrible, right? Because if you figure if you're buying Premiere and it's 20 bucks a month, you know, you're going to, a couple, two or three years, you could have bought DaVinci a couple of times, right? The thing is, is if you buy this piece of equipment, which is, I think when I bought it, it was 395 bucks or something like that, mm -hmm. you actually get the software for free. So you can go buy the software for 300 bucks and not get the hardware, or you can buy the hardware and get a software key for an extra 95 bucks. So it's 395 bucks all in, you get a software key for the software and you now got this hardware. Now, if you're not familiar with editing, you might look at this and say, no, it just looks way too, like there's too much stuff going on. But there's tons of tutorials out there on how to use it. And if you are enjoying editing and if you do get into it and you have fun with it, this really speeds up your workflow. But you've got to be like 
someone that is super interested in being very proficient in the editing world. So it's going to have a limited audience, but I'm kind of having fun with editing these days. And I know Eric's, I don't know if he's having fun. He's pulling his hair out <laughs> on a project that he's working on now, but um, that's where you learn too. The more problems you have and the more like struggles, and then you're like, okay, I've hit, I'm on the struggle bus. I need to get on YouTube. I need to find a tutorial on how do I set an in and an out point and do a ripple edit. I don't know, but I can go find a YouTube video that'll tell me how to do it in like three seconds. And then all of a sudden you got another tool in your arsenal of, to speed up your flow so that you can spend more time being creative than trying to figure out the tech technical parts of your software or your hardware. Brandon looks like he's online trying I'm to buy at this <laughs> keyboard. I'm pretty you sure like, when I got mine, I think I yeah, waited for a holiday sale and I'm, I think I, so I should say too, if, if you've never heard of DaVinci resolve, you can download a free uh, basic version. I don't think it lets you edit 10 bit video. So that could limit you. And then I think you might be limited to 1080 export, um, but you can at least play with it yeah. and see. But I waited to upgrade to the studio until there was a sale. And I'm pretty sure I got the keyboard for the price of just the software. Um, and it included the software. So I think it was like on sale for 300 for the keyboard with the software. So keep an eye out around the holidays. Wow. You might be able to grab it then. I am embarrassed to say that I've bought DaVinci twice. <laughs> so when you you need that key so like the key if you end up buying da vinci is like treat it like a password it is important when you lose that you lose your access when you want to put it onto you know your new mac studio that you buy for your office so i had to buy it twice and neither of you told me that i should buy the keyboard <laughs> With this, so now I've bought it twice without any hardware. Well, now you know, and now if you lose your other key, what I did is I took a picture. They send you actually a little credit card with your number on it. I did it through the whole online thing. Oh, I guess when you get the hardware, you get a little plastic card that has your yeah. software key on it. So I took a picture of that, so that way it's um, something you don't lose. So that little Resolve Speed Editor is three ninety five right now. The Resolve Editor keyboard is five ninety five for those that are interested in that. And the Resolve keyboard might be kind of cool. I didn't even dig into that because I didn't want to spend the six hundred bucks. But it might be the ticket to have if, like I said, you're really into editing and uh, the post processing of all this stuff. And more and more cool. people are doing it. So, and the fact that it is like, like Eric said, it's free. You don't even have to put any money out. And you can at least play with it and figure out if it's something that you would enjoy using. But the amount of tutorials that are out there from very, very beginner to very advanced is off the charts. But it is that way with all the software. So whether you want Premiere or Final Cut, you'll find it all. But I've just found DaVinci. The one thing I found in DaVinci that I like a lot, and it's mostly because of Brandon, is the color. Mm -hmm. He has kind of found out how to make the color work. And uh, when he helps me with this last video that I did, I mean, I was really shocked at the quality that of it's what nuts. I was actually putting out on the screen was representative of what I actually saw out there in the woods. Yeah, It's not just flying by the seat of your pants like I used to do or hit the button that says auto color. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I love, 
that's one of the coolest things. And then all these editors are the same, right? They all do the same stuff. It's just what buttons and what, how does it work? Yeah. So. All right. So that was my add-on plus one pro tip. So I guess we need one more from you, Brandon. Uh, Well, it's less of a pro tip, I guess, and more of a reminder. It is, well, at the time of filming, it is December 15th. But that means it's getting close to the end of the year. So go back and look at everything that you have taken video of or photos of and really be critical to yourself and say, was this a good one? What made it good? What made it bad? And pick out a few that you really liked and then go and find some things that you really hate and figure out why you hate them and why you dislike it and what made it not work or i mean maybe it's just blurry like okay we know what that problem is but like the ones that you feel like you would have loved and maybe don't that's what i'm looking for usually is why don't i like this is it the composition is it the color is it just the the behavior or lack of behavior and that'll just give you the good base for when you move into that new year and you can actually start looking at what goals you're going to make for photography and video. And then that way you just have a good base set of, Hey, I really w- need to focus on composition this year, or I really want to focus on the the colors or behavior, whatever it is, at least you know what you're good at or not good at and what you can focus on in that next year. So I've started doing that with some of my photos. I've, done less photos this year to be honest um but i i was working more on behavior this year and i just didn't take enough i wasn't out in the field enough and so i i think i'm probably gonna have to do that again next year but we'll see um being out in the field i mean the more time you spend out there the more you're gonna see for some of that so i don't know it's kind of a roundabout tip I like it. That's good. I think it's good, and it's a perfect time of year to do it. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else from the from the group? Uh, Thanks for everyone that's reached out for stickers. I've been sending out as many as I can. I had to do a restock. I did get these fancy looking. Look at these bad boys. (laughs) Oh Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like disco. So. For those that are listening, it's a sparkly Truth and Legend sticker. Michael wanted me to order it. So I was like, I don't know. It's glittery. but So I did. So we have a bunch of those. So if you're interested in a glitter sticker, just reach out and I'll send you one. For those that reached out here in the past week or so, I added it to your package. So you already have one. Uh, that is good for, let's see. So, we'll but to reach out, they have January to. January 2024. And so you have to do that in a comment, right? On YouTube. Comment or a direct message. Yep. No, no, no direct message because we need oh. the comments, right? Well that's, well, that's what everyone's been doing. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, no. So, let's, the new rule is you have to have YouTube. One. Yeah, we okay. need a YouTube comment because that's what helps us with, you know, we need to get to a million subscribers and we are a long, long, long ways away from that. Okay. Let's, let's, um, Rehash that for everyone. If you want a holographic sticker, comment on this podcast below. Can they do that on the listening ones? Don't do it if you're driving. That's no, you've got to go to YouTube. So go to YouTube, comment on it. I want a sticker. 
I'll get in touch with you and we will get you a sticker as long as it's before January, 2024, like before the um, end of January, 2024, or is this up until the end of December, 2023, uh, January 31 before 1159 PM, <laughs> January 31, <laughs> 2024. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this in, I don't know, say December of 2000. 60. If I'm around, I'll still get you a sticker, but I don't know. We'll see. 2060. I'm going to be pushing up daisies at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't. <laughs> For all the young people, they're going to be like, why would he be gardening? because <laughs> he's old and can't carry a tripod i guess yeah <laughs> yeah i sit in my backyard and and uh, garden promote Watch flower growth grow. <laughs> it's for the bees <laughs> uh, all right eric you got anything else to add no i don't think so i think that's about it have Get you guys listened to anything something. good Mm, have I listened folks. to anything good? I think the the best thing is watch our what is it the community tab on YouTube and watch for this Eisenbeck video and watch for the Teshapuk Lake video. I think it wasn't it Teshapuk that he did that yeah. video on that Garrett Vinny. Yeah, they did an article on. I'm going to go find those and I'll put those in our links on the community tab because I remember when Eric sent me the Eisenbeck one and it's. If you're into the north and you're into that sort of habitat and you're just into wildlife and really decent, good storytelling, it's it's fun to watch. And it's not super long. I don't remember what it was, but it's like 15 I'm minutes, sure it's yeah. under 15 minutes. And if you're interested in a bear tour, photo tour, it's on the website. Go check it out. We got the dates. I think we announced it last podcast maybe, but the dates are out there. If you're interested in that, we still have a couple spots open. Yeah, I need to check with Dave on that. But yeah, it's a trip of a lifetime. You definitely want to get on it if you can. And like I said earlier, if if we can fill up one, then we'll probably add a second one. And that way, and the time span that we'll be there is prime time for the bears. So if you want to do that, that'd be great. And is there anything else? Like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is so obvious these days, but I feel like I have to say it. Yeah, I mean, 70, it was like just under 80% of our uh, viewers and listeners are not subscribed. So if you like this sort of stuff, give us a subscription and hit the bell and you'll see when we post a new video. All right. With that, give us a give us an out because you're the new out guy, Brandon. Oh, I'm the new out guy. This has been another episode of the Truth and Legend podcast. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. How's that? Perfect. Sweet.